Welcome to the 10th podcast in our series, Life in the Time of Coronavirus. Here, Pushpa Arabindu, Associate Professor in the Department of Geography at UCL, explores the moral, social and pragmatic implications of lockdown. She looks especially at the case of the Koyambedu market complex in Chennai, dependent on crowds for its functioning, but also thought to be the hotspot of a third of COVID infections in the regional state of Tamil Nadu. What happens, she asks, when we juxtapose the moral authority of the lockdown with the moral economy of the crowd? Long confined to the realm of the imaginary, the idea of the next pandemic was fueled by what scholars refer to as the emergence of emergence, where emerging infectious diseases shifted the course of epidemiological reasoning, marking a new direction in global health policy. It was framed almost exclusively in anticipation of an inevitable event through a historical mingling of science and fiction, and it fabricated a pervasive climate of anxiety and apprehension leading to an obsession with catastrophic forms of diseases in the 21st century. So what are these pandemic prophets now thinking as their predictions have come to pass in the present? With 10 million cases and half a million deaths across more than 200 countries, COVID-19 is as close to an apocalypse as we can get. The extreme virulence of this outbreak notwithstanding, could these years, however, have foretold the manner in which this historical conjuncture has unfolded, i.e., even though we might have been waiting for something to happen, sooner or later, did we really think it would be like this at this particular moment? Despite a decade of activities around a billion-dollar pandemic preparedness industry involving syndromic surveillance, sentinel watching, unscrupulous data mining, as well as an overwhelming emphasis on modeling simulations, What is astonishing is the temporal urgency of the pandemic, which has hastened a crude form of survivalist response based not on any scientific rational or sophisticated knowledge. Masking a persistent sense of being unprepared against an exaggerated norm of preparedness, the only form of political action that has been galvanized quickly is the imposition of a lockdown and its rigid expectations of confinement. Even though enforced in its own distinctive modes in each country, lockdowns have come to be seen as a universal human experience. Against much speculation about the causes and consequences of COVID, as well as its risks and prospects, lockdowns gained traction as a persuasive course of action, both in terms of preventing and managing the pandemic. In short, it has become a new regime of truth spanning scientific, governmental, and sociocultural beliefs. To the extent that by May 2020, more than half of the world's population had been living for weeks under some form of lockdown. While there are suggestions that this is not completely new and that such forms of epidemic control date back to the 16th century, when cordons sanitaires were often established to contain disease outbreaks, there is an underlying unease as to how something such as a lockdown associated more with the carceral state and its prison industrial complex, came to be ratified so quickly and with such ferocity as the global health response to the pandemic. In fact, there is almost a mythocosmological reverence in the way lockdowns were invoked with media reports, extolling them as a corrective exercise, restoring interspecies balance between nature and humankind. 
a series of image events highlighting not just empty streets, but also frenzied accounts of urban rewilding through the appearance of feral animals in the middle of the cities, became a new kind of visual metonym for a possible post-pandemic new world. To borrow Kadoof's observation, lockdowns create a fantasy of control that overestimates and overreacts. As he astutely points out, lockdown is a mechanism not simply for prevention, but for redistribution of negative effects, which are unfortunately shifted away from hotspots of public attention to less visible places. It is thus not surprising when press reports around the world marveled at the way prominent city center locations remained eerily quiet, but you just needed to step outside of these dead zones to see that there was still a dogged pursuit of pre-lockdown routines elsewhere. This reminds me of my own city Chennai in southern India, where important landmarks such as Marina Beach or shopping districts such as Tinagar were enthusiastically photographed in their conspicuous oddity, stripped of their characteristic crowd, while marketplaces such as the wholesale Coimbatore market as well as local street markets, continue to mill with retailers and shoppers, revealing a predilection for culturally situated habits and practices. Lockdowns demand a complete transformation of our agency, rendering any kind of sociality unthinkable, especially the economic variant. And yet, it is in this context that street markets have emerged as everyday forms of counterpublic, even as they are harshly censured as COVID hotspots. Thus much fuss is made about Coimbatore Market, one of the largest markets in Asia, being responsible for a third of the infections in the regional state of Tamil Nadu. It is considered as the quintessential spillover ground zero, whose liminal spaces, generally not known for their cleanliness, became zones of contamination. If for many, its continued function is untenable, it is a remonstration of its association with crowd and congestion, even though urgent calls for the closure of the market shows little understanding of how food supply systems work in cities. Wholesale markets, such as Coimbatore Market, are not only important marketplaces in an economic sense, serving as more than a link between producers and consumers, or the peasant and the state, but as anthropologist Jane Goyer remarked decades ago, they convey a well-articulated socioeconomic structure put in place by the bureaucratic reason of state authority. With a distribution system where regularity, predictability, and accurate synchronization are at a premium, crowding and congestion understandably run amok in such spaces. What is ignored during crisis periods as the current pandemic is the fact that they are more than some kind of subsistence system, cutting across sev several scalar thresholds to absorb excess precarious labor. As an entangled space with its unique human and social capital system, shutting down Coimbatore market meets not only disrupting the everyday supply of fruit and vegetables for a city like Chennai, but also seriously hampering significant linkages between horizontal networks of people and vertical supply chains. Against the vein of exasperation, several reports have expressed against Coimbatore market as the epicenter of Chennai's pandemic, with calls for its closure or at least some form of regulated distancing. My intention here is not to undermine quarantine efforts which are epidemiologically necessary or to fuel any kind of denialism against the serious nature of the epidemic itself, 
But to echo Abdumalik Simone's point that livelihoods at markets are staked on uncertain workings of densities. One that is not just about population numbers and physical proximity, but equally the coexistence and proliferation of dif different economic transactions. The stereotypical crowd in the marketplace is more than an imminent condition of spontaneous or random interactions. Instead, it is emblematic of a particular social form that provides a majority of the marginalized population with the calculus of economic exchange. Imposition of new rules governing social distancing and conduct overturns the necessity of this crowd and their eventualities into a dispensable contingency, thereby destabilizing whatever security of livelihoods could be had through this format. Through a reversal of normativity, the necessity of a lockdown demands an efficacy that rests unrealistically on constraining popular forms of the multitude in Indian cities, especially assuming the worst of the crowd and its many conditions of possibility. With the probabilistic economy of anticipation set in place in the build-up to the pandemic, lockdowns assume a moral authority that is in direct conflict with the moral economy of the crowd, one that his historian E.P. Thompson had identified as not simply utilitarian, but an investment in important values and structures that are neither social nor economic. Through a recalibrated necessity that is rhetorical rather than pragmatic, lockdowns command an asociality that prohibits marketplace gatherings and their associated crowd, ignoring completely the complexities of their motive, behavior, and function. The only means of recovering their stability and integrity is to rework their functioning logic, one that now derives from a contingency that has been sidelined by the moral necessity of a lockdown. And it is thus that we find ourselves in a situation where lockdowns become banal and the crowd appears bizarre. So does the persistent presence of the crowd in its now contingent form sabotage the lockdown? I don't think so. On the other hand, has the moral authority of the lockdown made the moral economy of the crowd expendable? Definitely yes. Thank you for listening. Do send us your feedback and proposals at a.brainchat at ucl.nc.uk and find more talk pieces in the Institute of Advanced Studies website or your podcasts app. Music is by Small House in the BBC Sound Archive. Communications are by Patricia Mascarell-Bart. Production and edition are by me, Albert Benchatelar, and executive producer is Tamar Look at yourselves and others. See you soon.